0: A podcast from Premier Unbelievable.
1: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, as always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined uh, by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, John. Hi, good to be here. And uh, we're really excited to say we've got another guest joining us this week. Uh, that's Sophie guthrie um, from Choices Uh, You're going to explain a little bit more about Choices in a second, but um, Sophie, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are first?
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm delighted to be here too. Um, So I'm Sophie. I am the Director of Choices. Uh, We're a charity that supports women and their families through pregnancy crisis. We will talk about that a bit. Um, I'm also a trained counsellor.
2: Yeah, and I'm really excited to have this conversation because I, in terms of full disclosure, I'm also a trustee of Choices, Uh, a charity which I've been really delighted to be part of and and supporting for over 20 years. And it's something I passionately believe in. So it's great that Sophie's here to to talk about it.
1: Yeah, really exciting. Um, We thought it would be a fascinating conversation to hear a bit more about your work at Choices, Sophie, the kind of philosophy behind Mm -hmm. it. Um, as it's, I think it's a perspective in in this often fraught conversation around uh, women, pregnancy, abortion that is often missed. So could we start by saying, could, could you just tell us a bit more detail about what Choices is, how long has it been going, where whereabouts you guys are in the country?
0: Sure. Um, so we are a charity that's just over 20 years old. Um, initially was set up to respond to rather high teenage pregnancy rates in Islington so we're based in North London in the borough of Islington and for a long time have been called Choices Islington Um, but we're sort of recognising that we're meeting the needs of women from across London actually now more and more so we're calling ourselves just Choices. Um, What we do is we support people who are facing an unplanned pregnancy, um, help them to sort of think through the situation that they're in, the decision that they're making, what choice they're going to make. Um, and we then support them whatever they choose. Um, Initially, Choices was set up by a group of Christians, I think they're kind of um, from churches together around Islington, and we continue to have that very strong Christian foundation to what we do. So we call ourselves a constructive Christian response to the dilemma of unplanned pregnancy and abortion. Hmm.
1: And what does that Christian ethos mean in terms of kind of day-to-day? Does that inform what you tell clients? Does it inform who you hire for the jobs?
0: That's a really good question. Um, So what it does is it informs our response to clients. Um, We say that we meet our clients with compassion, care and respect because we believe that that's what we're offered um, by God. So it doesn't, you know, we're open to a of all faiths and none. Um, we won't force religion or faith onto anyone. Um, if the client brings it into the room, we'll certainly um, make space for it. Um, but what it does is really that we, we create this environment in which we provide love and empathy and care and um, respect for, for, for the women mostly that come to us. Obviously, some men do as well, but it's mostly women. And. Um, it, it does mean that for key posts in the organisation, um, we do hire Christians um, because we believe that prayer is foundational to what we do, um, praying for each other, for the clients that we see. Um, but, you know, we are also very inclusive. So not all, not all of our volunteers, for instance, not all of our staff have all been Christians. Um, because, yeah, this is a this is a service that we offer to, to everyone.
2: So would you like to tell us a bit more about what a typical day is like, what, what, what actually happens there? I know you've got a, mm-hmm. a small um, office space on, on the Caledonian Road in, in North London, but mm-hmm. what actually goes on there?
0: Yeah, um, well, because we're a small charity, we've got sort of seven or so members of staff. We work with a number of volunteers, 30 or so volunteers, but um, everyone's part-time. So um, imagine a very small charity in which a typical day is obviously very different from day to day. From one day to the next, you could be moving furniture around and, you know, um, Yes, sort of sorting through clothes, baby clothes and equipment, which um, I'll explain a bit in a second. Um, Or, you know, meeting with clients and really working through some tough issues. So it can be a whole mix of things in a typical day. But I guess in a sort of more serious way of answering that question, really a typical day at Choices is responding to, as I say, mostly women who will get in touch with us and ask for support around the issue of pregnancy crisis. So we have... One to two women a week will get in touch facing an unplanned pregnancy. Sometimes that will be a man who's getting in touch on behalf of a partner. Sometimes we'll see couples together. Um, but they definitely have people who feel like they're in crisis because they're facing this huge decision. Suddenly that, you know, the point is that they're facing it and they didn't know that they were going to be. It wasn't something they planned. Um, so, responding to those clients as quickly as we can and as compassionately as we can is kind of a key part of what we'll do in a typical day. And so, but how do they find you? Know, you? <laughs> the,
2: these, um, you know, how, here I am, I'm in London. I discover to mm. my shock that I'm pregnant, I'm not sure what to do. What happens mm-hmm. next? How do I find you?
0: Yeah. So, we have um, a lot of good connections with GPs in the NHS, and GPs will often um send people our way we'll refer people our way but often more often than not i think most people will find us online so they'll do a search for you know i'm I'm pregnant what do i do and will find us that way some people um have come to us in the past from abortion clinics as well um if they really really want to think things through but generally people who come from abortion clinics might well be coming for our post-abortion counseling services
2: so, I mean, what that shows, isn't it, is that actually choices is is quite well respected and trusted uh, by hmm. healthcare professionals, by other people. Um, I mean, yeah. how, how has that worked?
0: Yeah, that I mean, that that is the case. I hope <laughs> it's certainly something we work really hard on. And in fact, one of the services that we offer is in prisons, and there we work with the NHS very closely and um, work with the kind of mental health teams in women's prisons where we're offering um post abortion and child separation counselling services. Um so we are kind of building relationships with, with healthcare professionals. I think in general they're very pleased to know that we're offering what we're offering. I mean women's mental health around this issue is a very sort of serious issue and I think that they're really um pleased to note that, you know, that we do offer this service. Um and and I think, you know, increasingly they trust that what we're doing is we're offering offering a professional service. Um, All of our counsellors are qualified, you know, we're all trained um, and we work with volunteers, volunteer counsellors who are on a training placement, which is a very kind of well known way of, um, you know, it's it's very well recognised that people will be on a placement. So it's not kind of not as though we're working with people who aren't trained and, and, you know, they're all trained in-house as well. So I think there's more and more kind of recognition that what we're offering is of a professional standard.
1: And if I was a an unpan pregnancy client and I've I've got in touch on the phone mm. and I've set up a meeting with one of your counsellors, um, I mean obviously mm-hmm. every session is going to look a little different, but what kind of things would be talked about? Is there like a do you have a system, a structure, a, a kind of playbook you work through, or or is it completely kind of client led?
0: Yeah, um these are good questions. We we do we're very as an organization, we're trauma informed but also responsive to the client. Those are the two sort of ways that we work, if you see what I mean. Um, so we will be led by the client, but we also do have a series of tools that we'll offer them. So um, if you were to get in touch, what you would be met by, um, and these are our kind of standards for how we would respond, is you would be met with compassion, care and respect. You know, you'd be treated with respect um, and offered an appointment as quickly as you needed it. Um, but also the sense of kind of calm around. I think the thing that we would recognize is that often when people are in crisis, they feel unable to um, think it often. You know, you'll kind of have a have a bit of a kind of uh, crisis response. And and often what we need to do is, is help clients to kind of really come down a bit, as it were, um, and to feel more able to engage, you know, body and mind um in the in the conversation, so what we do is we'll we'll help them to sort of think through well what's my head thinking in this situation, and what's my heart feeling? you know basically what am I thinking, what am I feeling in this situation, so that they're able to respond to the situation that they're in and make the decision that they make, knowing that all of them has been engaged, that they're not kind of you know thinking oh actually i ought to do x but but really what i'm feeling is i want to do y but they're trying to kind of integrate the two of those things um and, and be honest i guess about what they're really thinking and feeling in the situation that they're in
1: hmm. and so the intent is does not that to help s- i mean there, there yeah. are some other tools sorry Cara. no no that's really interesting and i guess i'm just trying to get inside obviously i've got no experience of this myself uh, is, yeah. And the intent, therefore, is not to steer a client to a particular outcome, but to let them make the best choice for them, fully informed of, yeah. quote-unquote, the different choices that they have available.
0: Yeah, definitely that. Um, so our approach is is very respectful of the client and respectful of the fact that obviously, I mean, legally, you know, they have a choice. It's not our role to tell them what to do. Um, it is our role to help them to really connect with what they are thinking and feeling so that they can make a decision as as you say as an informed way as possible um and and one of the ways of doing that is to really sort of think through well actually what do i feel like i'm going to gain and what do i feel like i'm going to lose by each of the decisions in front of me and one thing we should say as well is that you know when someone comes facing an unplanned pregnancy obviously they have three options you know one is to continue with the pregnancy the other is second is to have an abortion, but the third would be to consider adoption. Um, And so we sort of really want to lay it as open as possible, you know, what what are your, you know, these are your options. What are you thinking about them? What do you feel about them? What do you feel would sit best with you? How how do you kind of connect with each of them? Um, So yes, it's very non-directed. Our values are to be kind of honest with our clients, to be open, to be transparent, but non-directive and respectful of them as well. Um, and to really provide an opportunity for them to think things through. I think more often than not, in you know there's a sort of idea that oh, I'm facing an untimefrily I ought to I ought to go ahead and do this. You know, too often, clients fa- face some form of coercion, and what we want to do. And because we believe that this is what God offers us is to be a non-coercive voice in their lives, to really offer them a chance to you know think it through for themselves.
2: One of the things I find very interesting is is that because, uh, Choices is known as a faith-based organisation, although providing mm. professional standard counselling, that actually you, mm. you do have a steady stream of people who come from non-Christian faiths, mm. don't you? Um, so, yeah. um, and, and, and that's one of the fascinating things that, that uh, for instance, people who come from a Muslim faith or Hindu background, yeah. actually often they want to talk about the religious aspects, the faith aspects of their decisions. I mean, is that, is that right? Is that your experience?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And I would say the majority of us, I mean, we have clients, as you say, from all faiths, um, and there's not one dominant one. Uh, Sometimes we have people get in touch who go to a Christian church, but more often than not, actually, you know, people are coming from all sorts of direct um, backgrounds. Um, And and yes, some people will come and also say, I feel spiritual, you know, I don't necessarily connect with a faith, but I do feel spiritual. And so are connecting with the fact that they're pregnant on that level. And what they do when they're in conversation with us is have a chance to actually, you know, say that out loud, um, where I think often there can be a kind of dominant, you know, um, maybe view that you don't connect with that part of you when you're making this decision, because that makes the decision too difficult, as it were. Um, so, yeah, we, we have people from all faiths and, and and just sort of people who also feel like they have kind of faith in inverted commas, but it's, it's not really got a name.
2: And presumably you've had... Um cases where you know people who were considering having an abortion actually having discussed all this they decide actually I'm going to continue the pregnancy and um and a baby is born and and yet they may be Mm -hmm. in a quite difficult circumstances I mean what happens then
0: yeah yeah I mean that is often the case I think you know we do recognize that for our clients you know we're seeing the people for whom there is a real crisis and so it's not as though either decision is easy or any any decision that they take is easy. Whatever they face, there's going to be a loss, basically. You choose one thing, you lose the other thing that you didn't choose. And we do really want to kind of sit with them and have that empathy in the unplanned pregnancy session that, you know, we recognise there's no easy way out here. Um, and as you say, for some that might be that actually going ahead with a pregnancy is incredibly difficult. You know, we're seeing people who often are struggling financially, might be struggling with their mental health. I worked with someone not so long ago who had a really serious ADHD uh, diagnosis as well as, you know, very unsupportive family, um, uh, financially not particularly stable and so on. But actually, she'd had two abortions before and and they'd really, really seriously um, caused her distress and, and that she had felt you know, her mental health had plummeted basically after both of them and in, in a really serious way and she'd suffered psychosis and so on. So it was a really, you know, difficult and complex um, situation that she was in and so very brave of her to to consider continuing the pregnancy and she did get in touch a couple of months later and said, I'm so pleased, I've, I've done that, you know, I'm pregnant, I'm really excited. Um, but the situation was not easy and, and actually we needed to kind of work with you know, a perinatal mental health team in the NHS to, to make sure that she had the right support, um, because it yeah was a very sort of complex situation that she was in, um. So yes, it is it it is it is the case that you know a number of people who will go ahead with a pregnancy are still in difficult si- situation and actually require further support. Which and we so, do what also.
2: kind of support then <laughs> can choices offer for people who are going ahead with the pregnancy, or do you just wash your yeah. hands of them at that point?
0: No, I think one of the kind of really important developments that um, did come out of, you know, when I say we started as a charity facing kind of trying to deal with this problem of unplanned pregnancy in teenagers. But what grew out of that was actually this is an issue for everyone. It's not just teens that face this. Um, And and one of the most important things that we do offer is that support whatever they choose. But that might mean that they choose to continue with the pregnancy but are really struggling financially. So we have a baby clothes and equipment service um, that. Just can take some of that financial pressure off people. We can just give them, you know, buggies, clothes, um, maternity wear, a- anything really, from naught to five years of the of the child's life, um, just to help them with that. But then we also offer. I mean, we're predominantly a counselling organisation, although we do offer this practical support. So, you know, we offer counselling for women who are pregnant, um, and that's a sort of recent development because out of lockdown, a number of people came with an unpl- unplanned pregnancy. I mean, unplanned pregnancy rates went up really quite quickly uh, during lockdown and we really were recognising that a lot of people were struggling with the idea of having an abortion but then really would need counselling support to work through some of their kind of relationship issues, for instance, as they went into becoming parents. Um, So we offer counselling, we offer befriending, which is a bit more practical, kind of a bit more kind of coaching style, um, and then the kind of baby clothes and equipment as well. So no, we don't don't wash our hands of them, (laughs) whatever they choose. To Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.
1: And I guess the other side of that coin is, is you would have clients who come for an unplanned pregnancy um, counselling, they choose to, to go ahead with an abortion. Um, and some of those mm-hmm. clients, uh, you, you are finding, I guess that, that after the abortion, they're experiencing difficulties. And, and was that was that the kind of birth of your post abortion support counselling work?
0: Yeah, I th- yes, um, absolutely. I think the post-abortion counselling work is 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 really, does come out of the fact that we recognise that um, it can be a decision that women will make that might stay with them for years. And that's not to say that every woman faces this, um, but there are some who do face sort of serious distress, you know, after having an abortion and find it very hard, but also in a society that doesn't really recognise that you might find it hard or doesn't make a lot of space for women to say that they found it hard and so actually it's it's part of that compassionate response it's part of that empathy that says "Oh, we see and hear that this has been a really hard experience for you and you need some space to process that and you need somewhere to find some form of resolution and healing from it so I yeah mean, that, is ob- that's how their counselling was born
2: mm. sorry Sophie, but th- this is obviously a very controversial area because i know you know I've been in debates with uh, pro-abortion groups who say that really this idea of, of distress and, and post-abortion mm. syndrome and so on, it's a myth created by you know, pro-life activists. Um, what's your personal experience of, of, what are the sort of symptoms which people may have uh, following an abortion? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, as I've said before, you know, choices will see the women who refer themselves to us or are referred by a professional. so we we only see a section. So we can't say that every woman experiences this, but it certainly for the women we've seen, it most definitely isn't a myth, you know, and I think it needs to be these are stories that need to be heard and respected that for a significant portion of women, it feels like a very difficult experience to have gone through and something that they, need and would like space to process and i had a client once who um said that she part of why she was finding it so hard to process is that she felt like a bad feminist because she'd been you know pro-choice and would never have criticized anyone who'd had an abortion she never would have expected it for herself i don't think many women sort of plan to have one um but after she had one she felt like she couldn't actually grieve you know she couldn't kind of process the fact that she felt like she'd lost something because she felt like that would make her a bad feminist so she was caught in this horrible double bind of you know i am feeling pain i'm finding it hard to process the fact that i'm feeling pain but also i feel really terrible about myself for wanting to process it because actually i didn't feel that women should you know make space for it so i mean there are countless women that you know we see um every year um who really are struggling with it and and need somewhere to process it. And that doesn't mean that we're saying that all women f- feel that way, but certainly a significant number do.
1: And again, obviously, this will vary from, from client to client, but are there some common tools or, or, or kind of journeys that you try and lead someone on to, as they try to come to terms with their decision to have an abortion?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, I suppose what we do is we... As you say, we will follow the client and, you know, whatever they want to process and help them to sort of focus on those things. But there are some key emotions that I suppose would come up in any sort of therapeutic support, but certainly come up in post-abortion support, you know, where women might want to be processing emotions such as anger. Um, They might want to be working through, you know, the stages of grief, which would include kind of denial as well as anger, um, guilt, Um, often feelings of shame might come up. Um people often want to work through, you know, relationships that they've had and how they make decisions, you know, why did I make the decision that I made? You know, feelings of of that sort of guilt about like, oh, why did I think that then? Why did part of me feel like that was the right thing to do, whereas another part of me now feels so terrible about it. Um so yeah, there are sort of those are some of the kind of standard feelings I suppose that people might want to work through. And and certainly a sense of loss, you know, a sense of grief and um, having lost something. And I think that's often one that can really surprise some women that um, that there is a feeling of of loss, because, again, I think society, we're told that actually maybe you wouldn't feel that and it should be relatively easy to go ahead and have a termination. But, um, yeah, for these women, I but guess it didn't feel so easy.
2: Is it possible for some women to find some kind of healing or resolution? I mean, it, you, it might think, you know, there's nothing you can do. I mean, I, I made this decision. I now feel terrible about it, mm. but it's it's happened. There's nothing I can do.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, you know, every everyone is different and how they process it is, is going to be different. But we sometimes use the image of kind of a bit of weaving, you know, weaving the threads of our life together, which, again, any form of, counseling or therapy will help you to do is sort of integrate your experiences and become okay with them but certainly that's something that we've seen is is people writing into us afterwards or giving us their feedback at the end saying you know i never thought i'd be able to process this but actually now i feel like I've been able to, I feel like I'm able to move on with my life. You know, we're trying to help women to feel more resilient afterwards and feel like they have processed and feel like they can face the future with hope. And that's certainly something that we see again and again. Every woman's story is different and they will all process differently, I suppose. And it's really important that we don't put on them the fact that they need to have felt X, Y and Z and gone through these all these emotions and processed it in a way and neatly tied it up and gone on their way because, you know, for everyone it will be different. But there certainly is hope in that we do see women again and again feeling like they've had a chance to kind of move through some of these feelings and then be able to kind of rethread you know their lives and, and and accept themselves as well accept yeah i made this decision and maybe i feel differently about it now than i did then but i'm i'm okay now you know and i and i can move forward
1: i find this particularly fascinating this part of choices's work because the stereotype i think in 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 our society at least in british society is that the kind of church or christian spaces would be the last place that someone could be kind of honest and vulnerable about having had an abortion in the past and that there's an expectation i think from many people christian or otherwise that if they do share that part of their story they're going to be met with sh- with shaming or, or or silencing and yet y- y- you're seem to be saying that actually a critical part of of your kind of christian vocation is 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 creating a space for women to to talk about something something like something as difficult as an abortion
0: yeah yeah and i think i really like the way you put it just then actually that idea of christian vocation because i was thinking the other day it's, it's almost a kind of prophetic act you know of trying to meet people the way that we believe that jesus does you know you see in the gospels again and again that jesus meets people who are sort of on the outside of society who might be seen and judged by society to have done something wrong um, you know, I'm thinking of kind of tax collectors and prostitutes and the woman caught in the act of adultery. And, and again and again, we see Jesus meet those people with compassion and respect, you know. Um, and like with the woman caught in the act of adultery, sort of asking people around them, well, who here, who here is able to throw a stone at this woman? Um, and although he is able to judge, he doesn't, you know, he tells her to, to sin no more and go on her way. And I, I think it's trying to kind of offer what we're trying to do is offer that we don't want to kind of be on a on a polarized spectrum of we think this or you think that and you know but more trying to meet each individual where they actually are with the same love that we see jesus meeting us with and saying you know there is no space there should be no space for shame here actually there should be a space for acceptance for receiving grace um and i think it's really sad if if a church is a place where you can't you know, share the pain that you've been through and seek to move forward and, and find healing and find grace. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's that's exactly what we're trying to do.
1: And, and is Choices alone, uh, when it was set up, was it kind of a, a, a pilot project or, or was there a kind of a broader movement? Are there similar kind of charities in other parts of the country that, that you can't reach?
0: Yeah, there are definitely um, lots of other little charities um initially there was a movement of pregnancy centres around around the country and, and many of these have continued as small charities um who are offering similar service. Um as you say, you know, we kind of work in a small area of North London. We are growing, we're meeting more women from across London, um, but we don't we're not national. Um and so there are other places where where women and men can go for this sort of support. Um obviously it's always worth kind of finding out in advance, I suppose, what they're you know, how, how they approach this issue, how, they, how they're going to respond to you. But yeah, there are certainly others that do the same sort of thing, same work.
2: I'm certainly conscious of the fact that <clears throat> there are, uh, there seems to be a growing interest in this work in the UK. And I know a number of churches have um, uh, planned to set up uh, some kind of, um, a similar kind of crisis pregnancy center. And, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's true to say, I've noticed they have subtly different philosophies, don't they? Some are very overt about the fact mm-hmm. that they're coming from a Christian perspective. Some are much more cautious about um, any uh, Christian or faith-based perspective. And uh, and I suppose, inevitably, that's right. They're all independent charities. They all have a, a, a unique um, kind of zeitgeist. But I, I think it's, it is a, a profoundly positive um, development, a, a practical, compassionate, authentically Christian response. Mm-hmm.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I think I think the faith part of it is important. Um and it, and as I say it sort of is is sort of offering in a way a, a perspective that you wouldn't get in in society, you know, elsewhere you might not get in in healthcare. I mean, um I, I've worked with a woman who had a Catholic faith who came for post abortion counseling. Um and she had terminated quite late on because of a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Um and was really struggling and certainly from a catholic perspective um was struggling with with um with what she had you know the decision that she'd made but she'd been told by all of her healthcare professionals that she really ought to do that to make that decision um and i mean I, yeah i don't know how far they actually said you must do this but i think that was very strongly the kind of impression that she got um and so i, I think yeah what i'm saying is i suppose the kind of being able to make space for her where her faith and her perspective was understood is quite different to what is being offered elsewhere through kind of secular services, I guess. So um, I, th- I think the faith perspective is quite important in this.
1: And it seems that Choices and similar centres are offering almost... a. Uh... Almost a third way, because I, there's, there are, as you'll know, you know, some some of the abortion providers themselves have counselling services, and, and you know, I'm not going to ask you to to give your impression of those, but they're clearly coming from a perspective, mm. and then there are some kind of overtly explicitly directive pro-life counselling services which are Mm. entirely aiming to steer people away from abortions and it seems to me that there's something Mm. really valuable in having Christians pursuing a third way a different perspective saying that we're here to provide as you said kind of compassion non-directive giving you the full range of all your choices and all your alternatives and the love of Jesus and the grace and the space to work through that at your own speed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've probably did, did say before, but there's been a, a survey recently, a Comres survey, um, that actually the BBC commissioned, I think, showing that 50% of women face reproductive coercion. And I suppose, yeah, we are trying to offer this space actually that is precisely not non coercive. And um, abortion centres, yeah, they do offer counselling, but I guess what women find difficult is even if it's not directive, you know, I don't, I don't think it specifically is. I'm not saying that, but I think women find, or the ones that at least have told us this, have found that it still doesn't feel independent. You know, So it doesn't feel like an independent counselling service because it's attached to the abortion providing um, service. Um, but then equally, as you say, if, if anywhere is being incredibly directive, you know, from a kind of Christian perspective as well, that still isn't very respectful of the fact that that these women do have a choice you know and certainly if they're coming from a perspective themselves which isn't a faith perspective it's not going to make sense to them at all to kind of um, push you know one one view or another onto them as well as being another coercive voice in their lives Um, and and finally I suppose you know any you know any therapist is going to have to abide by an ethical standard which means that you don't tell people what to do you know you have to kind of work with them where they're at so we are seeking to kind of yeah steer into that kind of that space
1: Hmm. and just lastly then we're running running out of time but if if someone listening to them was was encouraged and inspired by what they heard um and they wanted to kind of volunteer or see if they could support um a similar pregnancy center near them what what would be the best way of trying to find them
0: well um i think probably the best place to go is anywhere else in the country i mean we we'd obviously always uh, always welcome any support and, and uh, any type of support in London but anywhere else around the country I think the pregnancy centers network is is your first port of call um uh, so this is UK wide um but um yeah the pregnancy centers network would be able to kind of direct you to your local center would be able to have that conversation um where is there somewhere else that's doing this sort of work that I'd like to get involved in um yeah so I'd look them up
2: yeah and I would just suggest a google search wherever you are for um hmm crisis pregnancy centres and <clears throat> to, to find out uh, what's available in your area and, uh, and maybe if there isn't anything in your area and you feel moved you know I, I would really encourage people to, to think maybe this is something we could think of uh, creating there are this is a, a worldwide issue and and here is mm. a an authentically um, uh, compassionate sensitive and, and Christian way of responding.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're so grateful for you, Safi, coming to kind of share a bit more of your insight and your reflections on, on the work of choices and pregnancy centres more generally. It's been a really uh, fascinating conversation. So thanks so much for taking the time. Thank
0: you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: Uh, that's it for this episode of matters of life and death um uh, as always uh, thanks for listening um we're going to be back next week with a, another episode following up on our conversation we've had here with sophie where, where me and john will, will talk about some of the kind of ethical issues and, and some other kind of christian responses to the questions around abortion and, and pregnancy crisis um so listen out for that next wednesday but um otherwise uh there's plenty of um resources as always on on john's website if you want to read more or think more about the question of abortion in the beginning of life and ethics around that that's um john wyatt.com j-o-h-n-w-y-a-t-t um, if you'd like to get in touch with us uh, we're always interested to hear feedback from from listeners or suggestions for other topics we could discuss you can um, email molad m-o-l-a-d at Um, but otherwise uh, we'll see you next week thanks very much for listening
0: Of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.